This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, I'm glad to be here. I am so glad to be with you. And um, I, I, I want to share a message with you today. But before we do that, I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of being here in Barstow. I thank you for... Pastor Bernie and Janice, the whole team here, every leader, every worker, Lord, every every member, everyone who's here to receive from you. Lord, we didn't come here today out of ritual, out of routine. Lord, we came because we believe you're alive. We believe you're alive today. You, we believe you're alive in our hearts and in this place. And that, Lord, you want to speak. You want to minister to your people. Lord, we're not here just to go through the motions But, Lord, we're here to receive life-giving words. Jesus, you said that your words are spirit and they are life. And so, Lord, we're expecting you by your spirit to minister to us today, to impart life, truth, blessing and wisdom to us. And, Lord, we're expecting our lives to be changed today as we sit under the word of God and receive the influence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Well, I want to I want to open up with two scriptures and um, we're going to kind of compare and contrast these scriptures. Some people think these scriptures kind of contradict each other. How many of you know there's no contradictions in the Bible? Now, there's contradictions in people's understanding of the Bible. But how many of you know there's a big difference between a contradiction in the Bible and a contradiction in somebody's understanding of the Bible. Let's look at these first two scriptures that we have. Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus said, and this is a very favorite verse. Many people really love this verse. Jesus said, with God, how many things are possible? With God, all things are possible. How many of you know we need to be encouraged about that once in a while? We just need to remind ourselves there's nothing too big for our God. Nothing is too big for God. And, um, you know, God spoke the universe into being. Um, you know, He created us. Uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, Jesus not only rose from the dead, but He's coming back again as, as, you know, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we just need to know, with God, all things are possible. How many of you know we, we serve a God who is awesome, powerful, mighty, majestic. He's not afraid of anything. He's not intimidated by anything. God's awesome. Amen? But, you know, we have this other verse that uh, Paul, this second verse is Paul. And Paul says, notice how he begins this phrase, if it is possible. Now, how many of you know, wait a minute, Jesus just said, with God all things are possible, but now Paul says, if it is possible. How how many of you can understand that some people might look at that and think, wow, that seems to kind of contradict. Because Jesus said, with God all things are possible, but then Paul says, if, if it is possible. What does the word if mean? It means maybe, maybe not. But Jesus didn't have any kind of hesitation or, you know, maybe, maybe not. He just said, with God, all things are possible. 
But Paul says, what, let's read the whole sentence. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I, I, I want to say boldly and confidently that there's no contradiction in these two scriptures. Who's Jesus talking about dealing with? With God, all things are possible. Who's Paul talking about dealing with? People. How many of you know with God, all things are possible, but with people, maybe not so much? You understand what I'm saying here? How many of you know people have a free will? How many of you have learned that you can't necessarily control another person? People have a free will and they can choose to do certain things or not choose to do certain things. And so, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had a relationship with somebody? You know, maybe somebody really close, maybe just somebody more casual or whatever. Uh, but the, it was just really hard to get along with. Have you ever had any kind of relation? Any, maybe a boss, maybe a neighbor, you know, maybe just somebody that you, you know, a co-worker. That was just really difficult to get along. How many of you have ever had somebody difficult to get along with in your life? And um, I saw one time I was at a Walmart and I saw somebody with a T-shirt that said, I have one nerve left and you're on it. Did you ever see anybody wearing that kind of shirt? And they didn't look very happy either. I didn't want to cross them or mess with them. I have... I have one nerve left and you're on it. And uh, I don't know if Paul was thinking about that kind of thing when he wrote, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So I want to talk to you today about the, the issue of how do we get along with God, who is perfect, and how do we get along with people who are imperfect? And, and how, here's something I want to talk about today. I believe that how we get along with people has a lot to do ultimately with how we're going to get along with God. Notice what Paul said, if it's possible. What does that mean? That in some cases it may not be possible. Have you ever had a person that in spite of all of your best efforts, you just could not get to the place of having a really good relationship with them? Paul said, if it's possible, and notice what he says, as much as it depends on you. He, Paul here is communicating responsibility. If the first time that you have a little bit of friction with somebody, you just write them off, and and denounce them, and I'm never going to have... You know, that we're probably not fulfilling that statement if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. And how many of you know that in relationships, we're told to be long-suffering? We're told to be merciful. How many of you know we're told to not just quit at the first sign of problems, but we, we do want to go the extra mile... You know, and that type of thing. But let's go to our next slide. Our next slide says that somebody came to Jesus and they said to him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
Now, we know that most people, when they think of the commandments, how many do they think of? They think of ten, the ten commandments of the Old Testament. But did you know that those ten commandments are really just a condensed version of 613 commandments? Aren't you glad we don't have the 613 commandments? That'd take forever to go through, much less try to remember them and things like that. So, so God took the 613 commandments and He just kind of gave us some young people may not know what this means, but the Reader's Digest version. Okay? The condensed version. And we end up with ten. But some guy was not content with ten. He just said, Jesus, I want to know what's the great. I want to know the most important one. I want you to narrow it down to one. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Now, let me ask you this. The the man said, what is the great commandment? And Jesus said, it's to love God with all your heart, life, and so on. This is the great commandment. Did Jesus answer the man's question? Yes, but Jesus went above and beyond. Jesus apparently didn't like the idea of boiling it down just to one commandment. Jesus said, you've asked me for one, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two. And Jesus said, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor As yourself. Why did Jesus insist on giving more than the man asked for? Because Jesus understands that for us to be complete human beings, that we not only need to love God, but we need to love people. How many of you know it's easier to love God than it is to love people? God's perfect. God's good. You know, God's given us life and breath. And and God loved us so much, as Pastor Bernie said earlier, that He sent Jesus to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead. And, and, and through Jesus' resurrection, when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the gift of eternal life. And we have this wonderful place waiting for us called heaven for all eternity. Man, how could you not love God? It's easy to love God, but you know what? People aren't always as nice as God. People aren't always as patient and loving and good. And sometimes people are difficult and ornery and grouchy and just hard to get along with. And Jesus said, there is a great commandment to love God, but there's a second commandment that's like the first one, and that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's probably a lot easier to love God sometimes than it is to love our neighbor. You know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, do you know what you find? That, that when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments have to do with loving God. 
But the next six commandments have to do with how we will act if we love our neighbor. God's always been interested not just in our love walk with Him, but in our love walk with each other. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna share some scriptures here with you this morning that I believe pretty powerfully demonstrate that if you want to have an unhindered, full, rich relationship with God, you need to make sure that you're doing the best you can in your relationships with other people. Let's look at the next scripture. We're going to begin to explore this a little bit. Jesus says, now remember he's talking in in the days of the Old Testament when they still had the temple, when they still had animal sacrifices. And Jesus says in Matthew 5.23, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Think about that. Jesus says you're at the temple. You're, you know, now he's talking to Jewish folks, so they were in their, you know, system. We have a, we don't go to the temple today. We don't offer sacrifices. But I think the principle transcends. He says, you're at the temple. You're about to offer your sacrifice. And you remember that somebody has something against you. Something's not right in the relationship. There's strife. There's, there's been offense. There's been unforgiveness, there's been bitterness or whatever. What does Jesus say do? Oh, don't worry about it. The only thing that's important is that you love God. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, you know what? God can wait. You go get right with that person. You go make it right with that person. And then come back and then offer your sacrifice to God. See, what I see Jesus saying there is that God is not content for us just to love Him, He wants us to love other people too. God doesn't just want us to be right with Him, He wants us to be right with other people also. Now, now somebody will say, and understandably so, but, but you don't understand, Tony. You don't understand. I've got this person who hates me, who, who doesn't like me, and I've done everything I can to get get that right with them, and they just won't have anything to do with me. I can't reconcile to that person. You know what I think we need to do at that point? We need to go to Romans twelve eighteen, where Paul said, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. If somebody has something against you, and you've done everything you can to make that situation right, and they absolutely refuse, guess what? That's not your fault anymore. That's not your problem anymore. That's their problem now. That's why Paul said, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you. But Jesus communicates very clearly here. He wants us to take the first step to get things right with other people. Let's look at another statement that Jesus made. This is something that, boy, we love this. If you know, if, if you've been studying the Bible, if you've been around here very long, you know some things about these verses of Scripture. 
Because we believe in having strong faith in God. And Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says." Don't we like the idea of being able to speak the Word of God, of being able to speak with spiritual authority and, and know that we can have what we say? This, is, this isn't something that Kenneth Hagin thought up in the 1940s. This is something that Jesus said way back when he was alive. You can have what you say if you believe it in your heart. And then he went on to say this in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you uh, when you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Jesus is talking here about he's strong faith that when you pray, you can believe that you receive and you'll have it. So these three verses, Mark eleven twenty two, Mark eleven twenty three, and Mark eleven twenty four, are three of the most powerful verses in the Bible about what it means to have strong faith. We can have strong faith when we say, and we can have strong faith when we pray, according to Jesus. But did you know what? Jesus did not stop talking at Mark 11:24. Did you realize that? He kept talking. And what did he say in the next verse? Let's look at the next verse. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Do you think it's possible that if we don't do Mark eleven twenty five and 26, that we might have problem making Mark eleven twenty three and 24 work? See, I don't see Jesus going, sending us through a, a buffet. You know what a buffet line is? A cafeteria line. And, and Jesus has here, he's got some Mark eleven twenty three and 24. And then over here, he's got another bowl full of Mark eleven twenty five and 26. And can you imagine going down the cafeteria line with your tray and say, Oh, Jesus, I'm going to have some from that bowl in Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Actually, give me a double, double helping of that. Uh, but now, now Mark, Mark eleven twenty five. I'm going to skip that. I don't, I'm, I'm just going to keep going down the line. How many of you know we, we really don't get to treat the Word of God like a cafeteria line? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so here's what we see. Jesus is teaching this. You know, if you're, if you're worshiping and you remember somebody has something against you, make it right. If you're praying and you remember that you have something against somebody else, make it right. God wants us to make, God wants us to be right in our relationships with each other as well as in our relationship with Him. Let's look at the next verse that we have to look at. In 1 Peter, now this is talking about husbands and wives. 
I've been married, it'll be 40 years. My wife and I are celebrating 40 years this June. And um, I don't have time to go into it, but I'll tell you, when I first got married, I was 20 years old. And um, I did not understand what marriage was about. You know, one thing I found out real early in my marriage is that my wife didn't necessarily think the way I thought. I'd see it a certain way, and she'd see it a different way. And that bothered me. You know why? Because if I see it a certain way, well, that's the right way to see it. And so she goes and sees it another way, and I'm thinking, you know, why are you always wrong? And... um I, I actually thought that for the first few years of marriage, that my job was to fix my wife. That I was, I was, you know, that was what Jesus called me to do was to straighten her out about everything. And you know what? It took a while. I, I was a slow learner. It took me a few years to realize, you know what? When she sees some of these things different, it's not necessarily wrong. It's just different. She sees it from a different angle. She's got a different personality. She's got a different way of processing and thinking and feeling and everything. And, you know, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I'm not necessarily right and she's not necessarily wrong. We just see things from a different angle. You know, you can see these mountains around here. You look at a mountain from one side, it looks one way, but you drive around the other side of it, it looks a little different way, a little different angle. And um, so I'm not talking about, you know, like, I thought it was okay to murder, and she said, no, it's not. I'm not talking about something like that. I'm just talking about, you know, kind of a perspective and things like that. And um, so so this this verse that we're going to look at here really helped me uh, learn how to get along better with my wife. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way, you husbands must give Honor. Everybody say honor. honor. You must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding. Now, can I tell you something? That to me was the most challenging thing about being a husband. Was to understand my wife. I'm coming up on 40 year anniversary. I still work at under because she thinks different than I do she she's got her own unique personality but I'll tell you one thing I quit doing a long time ago I quit trying to fix my wife cuz you know what I found out there's nothing wrong necessarily just cuz she sees something a little different than I do doesn't mean I'm right and she's wrong doesn't mean she's you know and you know what we've learned after 40 years of marriage sometimes we we kind of take turns Sometimes, you know, we'll go with my viewpoint. Sometimes we'll go with her viewpoint. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes she's right. But, but we're not, we're not competing. We're not at odds with each other. Um, and really, when, when, when God allows you to work with somebody to have a different perspective, sometimes what that does is it broadens you. Because sometimes there's something right about your perspective. Sometimes there's something right about the other person's perspective. And sometimes you just get to see it from a little bit more broad perspective. So Peter said, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. 
See, I had to quit trying to fix my wife. I just needed to kind of apply myself to understanding her. And notice what it says. It says, she may be weaker than you. Now, can I tell you something? As somebody who's been married for 40 years, there are some areas where my wife is weaker than I am. I'm physically stronger. But, you know, I'll just give you another area. I've got a pretty good sense of direction. If I've been somewhere, I can kind of know. My wife doesn't have any sense of direction at all. You know, just she that's just not a strength of hers. But you know what? My wife has strengths that I don't have. She's great with details, like with a checkbook. I'm not good with details. So she may be weaker than me, but then in other areas, she may be stronger than me. But see, we're not trying to, we're not in competition with one another. She may be weaker than me, but she is your equal partner. Isn't it nice to be in a marriage where you're not trying to prove that you're it's superior to your spouse or, or where your spouse is trying to make you feel inferior? We're equal partners in God's grace, gift of new life. There may be some areas she's stronger than me. There may be some areas where I'm stronger than her. But you know what we do? Where I'm stronger, I help her. Where she's stronger, she helps me. And we lift each other up. Now, notice how Peter concludes this. He said, treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? I believe that what Peter is communicating here, you know, Jesus has been talking about, yeah, you need to love God, but you need to love people. When you go to worship God, if there's a problem in a relationship, you leave your sacrifice and you go and you be reconciled to that person. When you stand praying, if you have something against somebody, you go get that taken care of. Peter is saying, hey, husbands and wives, you need to honor each other and respect each other. And you need to treat each other as your equal, honor each other, because if you don't honor each other, your prayers could be hindered. See, Christianity isn't just about having a relationship with God. It's about how we relate to one another. God said the great commandment is that we love Him, but the second is just like it, that we love one another also. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. Job chapter 42. How many of you know, we don't have time to teach about Job, but Job went through horrific heartache, loss, devastation. His children died. His businesses went bankrupt. He, uh, he lost his health. His employees got killed. I mean, you talk about somebody who had every reason to have horrific trauma in their life, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, Job was the ultimate candidate for that. He went through horrific trauma. And you know what? He had three friends that came to comfort him. Can I tell you something? With friends like that, you don't need the devil. 
Because what they did was they, they supposedly came to comfort him, and I'm sure they had good intentions, but you know what they ended up doing when Job... How many of you know if you're really hurt, you may say some things that don't represent your best? You know, you just speak out of your hurt or your frustration or your pain, and it's not, it's not something you'd say when you were in a better state of mind. And Job, in his pain, said a lot of really bad things that Job later repented for. Job later said, God, I said things about you I shouldn't have said. And you know what God said at that point? He said, yeah, Job, you're right. And your three friends have said some really bad things about me also. And, and not only that, but they had really, they had kicked Job when he was down. They had poured salt in his wounds. Uh, they really, Job called them miserable comforters. Are you all? And, and see, the book of Job is primarily a theological argument between four people who did not know what they were talking about. But at the end of the book of Job, after this horrible fight between Job and his three friends, where they were bitter at one another, they were hostile verbally to one another, God said, Job, I need you to pray for your friends. Do you know sometimes the hardest thing in the world is to pray for somebody who has hurt you? To forgive someone who has hurt you. And what we read in Job chapter 42, verse 10, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. See, before the blessing could come flooding into Job's life, the, the restoration of really the material things, before this restoration could happen, Job not only had to believe and trust God, but you know what? Job had to get things right with his friends. He had to pray for his friends. Sometimes getting something right on the horizontal level with people opens up channels of blessings from the vertical in terms of our relationship with God Himself. I'm going to close with this verse today. This is kind of, to me, it's kind of an epitome of this verse. It's in James chapter 5. And James asks this question. Notice what James says. Now, James is writing as a pastor. James is not writing as a healing evangelist. He's not talking about healing that would happen in an evangelistic crusade or out on the, out on the mission field. James is talking about a local church scenario. And he asked the question, is anyone among you sick? But I want you to notice this, is anyone among you? Who, who's among you? He's talking about the church family. He's talking about people in a relationship together who are serving God together, worshiping God together. They go to church together they serve and so on. And James says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. That would be the leaders, the pastors of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
and the prayer of faith will save, and that word save includes the idea of healing, and the prayer of faith will save or will heal the sick, and the Lord will do what? The Lord will raise him up. Now, that's a complete thought, isn't it? But then James is going to introduce us to maybe another situation. He says, and if, and if. Again, what does the word if mean? If means maybe, maybe not. And if he has committed sins, they, he will be forgiven. Now, when James says, and if he has committed sins, now keep in mind, James isn't just talking randomly and generally. James is talking about somebody in the church is sick. That's what he's talking about. So what he's saying when he says, and if he has committed sins, he's meaning if he's committed some sin that is somehow connected to this sickness. The very fact that James said if is huge because James did not believe that everybody who is sick is sick because they necessarily committed a sin. Did you know there's people who believe that if a Christian is sick, there must be sin in their life? But James didn't say that. He said, if anybody's sick, call, let him get prayed for, prayer of faithful. And if he committed any sins, if, not since, if he committed a sin, meaning, what does this mean? That when a person is sick, maybe they committed some sin. How many of you know there are certain sins that will kind of lower your immunity and, and mess up your body and mess up your you know, system, and it causes you to be more vulnerable to certain types of sickness. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then notice what it says. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I want to give you a scenario of how this worked in one situation. There was a church this church had uh, one person in the church, a member, who was extremely wealthy. Everybody else in the church, you know, normal type folk, but they, they had one guy in the church that was a gazillionaire. He gave more money to the church than every other member combined. Now, how many of you know every pastor would love to have somebody just given gazillions of dollars into the church? But you know what happens sometimes when people have a lot of money? Sometimes, not always. Sometimes people get wrong attitudes about money. Sometimes people have wrong attitudes about money when they don't have any money. Anybody can have a wrong attitude. But this guy, this really wealthy guy, thought that because he gave more money than anybody else, he ought to be able to control everything that the church did. How many of you know we don't give money to control? We give money to glorify God. We give money to obey God. But this man felt because he gave more money than anybody else that he had a right to call all the shots. 
And the church was going into a building program. They were going to build a brand new church building. And um, they had a committee, a team of people who were making decisions about, you know, what the building is going to look like and the layout and the architectural plan. And this guy who had all the money wanted the church to look a certain way. He had a certain style of building in mind. But he's the only one that wanted that. The rest of the committee didn't want that. And so the committee said, no, we're going to build it this way. Have you ever heard about the little kid who said, well, if I don't get it my way, I'm going to take my ball and bat and go home. Well, that's what that guy did. He 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 got offended. He got his feelings hurt. And um, he said, well, if, if they're not going to let me do the, have the church built the way I want it, then I'm going to quit giving money. I'm just going to freeze them out financially. And as a matter of fact, he said, I'm just going to quit going to that church. So he took his ball and bat and went home and um, and started. He got so mad that they didn't let him have his way that he started bad mouthing the church and the community. He started telling people how bad the pastor was, how bad the church was, how bad the leaders were and things like that. And you know what happened over time? He got really sick. He opened up, I I think he really opened up the door to sickness and disease in his life. You know, and medical science will tell you, you know, I'm not even talking about the Bible right at this second. Medical science will tell you that if you have resentment and unforgiveness, it, it it, it messes up your immune system. And they believe that many sicknesses are due to emotions that are unhealthy. You know, what's going on on the inside can affect the outside. But spiritually, we've known that from the Bible for thousands of years. Uh, you know, what medical science is, is confirming now. But um, so this man, full of bitterness, resentment, bad-mouthing the pastor, bad-mouthing the church. And the next thing you know, he's sick and he's getting worse and worse and worse. And he's, he's to the point where it looks like he's going to die. And he's, he's, how many of you know when you're desperate, you get serious with God? You, you, you start checking yourself. And, uh, so he's, he's reading his Bible and you know what he reads? He reads James chapter five. Is any, any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And if, he has committed sins. They shall be forgiven. Uh, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, see, can I tell you something? This doesn't apply to everybody, especially the last couple verses, if he has sinned, because not everybody who's sick has necessarily committed some sin that caused that sickness. But you know what? When he read that, he realized this applied to him. And thank God he was humble enough to call, tell his wife, say, call the church, call the pastor, have him bring some of the leaders over, have the pastor bring the anointing oil. And uh, so the pastor shows up at the house with some of the church leaders and they walk, this guy's in this big mansion, you know, the nicest house in the whole community. And um, they walk up to this man's bedroom and 
they open the door and, and that man's sitting there just looking like he's, you know, just about to pass into heaven. He's not looking healthy or good at all. But he's got his Bible open. The pastor comes in. Boy, he doesn't do any small talk at all. He just says, Pastor. He says, I just reading James chapter 5 and read it to him. Confess your sins, your faults, one to another. Pray for one another. He says, Pastor, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you church leaders. I've sinned against the whole church. I, and he went on, he told him, I've, I've been full of bitterness. I've been resentful. I've been unforgiving. I've spread slander and gossip. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want you to pray for me. I want you to anoint me, pastor, with oil so that I can be healed. The pastor was so excited that he took his bottle of oil. I'll just, uh, is there a bottle of oil there? Okay. He took his bottle of oil. And normally, the pastor, when he would anoint people with oil, would open the lid and just do this and, and put a little, you know, dab on the forehead. Pastor got so excited at this man repentance and, and heartfelt confession, he just took the lid up and dumped, <laughs> dumped the whole bottle of oil on the guy's head. And, and the pastor said that when the oil, how many of you know what the oil represents? The oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When the oil hit that man's head, the power of God hit him. He said that man threw off the blankets, jumped out of bed, and began running around and dancing around the room totally healed. But see, what did the man do? He got his relationship with people right. And once he got his relationship with people right, then the blessing of God was able to come. Now, the pastor said that the man then said, you know, pastor, I know God's healed me. I know everything's okay. But he said, you know what? I, I really feel like I should because I, I said a lot of things in the community he said, I think I need to apologize to the whole congregation. And the pastor said, well, you know, if you think you should, I'll, I'll sure let you, but you know, that, that's up to you. And Sunday comes around. Now, the guy's healed, and he shows up at church Sunday and says, Pastor, yeah, I, I feel I should do it. He said, I, he said, God's healed me. I know everything's okay. But he said, I just want to clear the deck. I just want to get, I just want to clear the air. I want to clear the conscience, my conscience. And so he gets up and, and tells the church what happened and tells the church how that he got into bitterness and then got into severe sickness and was about to die and how he read James chapter 5 verse 14 through 16, called for the pastor and the, the elders, the leaders, and they prayed over him. He confessed his sin and the power of God hit him. And, and when he shared that testimony, you know what happened? The power of God hit the whole congregation. And people started forgiving one another. People realized, wait a minute, he's not the only one that needs to confess something. Now, I want to say something here that I think is important. You, you do need to use wisdom on what to confess and what not to I think some people probably go overboard in confessing things they don't need to confess. 
if, uh, let me give you an example. I had a guy, Pastor Bernie, I, this to me was very interesting. I was a minister. He came up to me one time and he said, Brother Cook, just out of the blue, he said, uh, I just need to confess to you that I've had some really bad feelings about you. Said that to me. I didn't have any idea this guy had any bad feelings about me. I, I, I searched, I mean, I searched and said, what did I ever do to him? I, I couldn't think of anything I'd ever done to this guy. And he comes up and says, Brother Cook, I just want you to know, I forgive you. He said, I've had some really bad thoughts against you, Brother Cook, and I just want you to know I forgive you. And I said, well, brother, I said, uh, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that with me. I said, um, w- would you mind letting me know what I did? Because if I did something, I said, that I'm sure I need to, I need to ask your forgiveness. I said, I, I don't know what it would be, but I, if I did something to offend you, which I obviously did, I said, then please tell me so I can, I can ask your forgiveness. And he said, no, I don't want to talk about it. He said, I just want you to know I forgive you. And then he turned and walked away. He may have felt better. I felt lousy. I'm sitting here thinking, to this day, I have no idea what I ever did to that guy. But if it made him feel... See, I honestly think, I I really wish if he'd had something against me and he wasn't even going to tell me what it was, I just wish he'd talk to God about it and not dump that on my front stoop. You know what I'm saying? What one general principle, and and I'll sure invite Pastor Bernie to correct me or add to or qualify or whatever, but generally speaking... If, if it's something totally private, you just take it to God. If it, see, that man felt he should because he'd been public with all these things. So he felt he needed to, you know, say it to the people he had offended. So all I'm saying is this. I'm not trying to get everybody, okay, we're just, all we're just going to be doing is going around saying, you know, you know, everybody's saying, but, but you know, once in a while it is appropriate to say something personally. Sometimes it is appropriate to go to somebody and and apologize and, you know, just let them know, hey, I'm sorry that I hurt you or or something of that. You know, there are some situations where, you know, people have sometimes they've been in in really abusive relationships and, and the person has been heavily abused and they wonder, well, you know, I've, I've held some bad feelings because they abused me. So should I go tell them I forgive them? Not necessarily, because you might just be setting yourself to get abused again. But you still need to forgive them, but you may just want to do it between you and God, or you may want to write something out. Do you know what the, the, when David, you know what the book of Psalms are? The book of Psalms was David's journal. And, and he got stuff out on paper. Like, you know, for example, when he, he wrote in, in the book of Psalms, Oh God, break out their teeth. Now, you know, I don't know how that really squares up with what we call today the fruit of the Spirit. But you know what David did, and I think this helps a lot of people, they, they, they put things on paper 
to get it out of themselves. If you're feeling angry, it's better to write. Write something to God about your anger and then give that to God. Sometimes that's the, that's the release. You know the word forgive simply means to release something? When you forgive somebody, you're just releasing it. You're not holding on to it anymore. And so I just wanted to share with you today what I think is a really simple message. And if you want to give this a title, it's called Love God, Love People. Love God, Love People. And know that we have some pretty strong scriptures where the Bible makes it pretty clear that if we're going to have an unhindered, free-flowing relationship with God, we need to do what we can do. Keep in mind, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do the best you can with what you have to work with. That may mean going to somebody and apologizing. It may mean just taking it to God and forgiving that person. Do the best you can do with the situation that you have to work with. But when you get, when you obey the Word of God in terms of what God says for you to do regarding people, it creates an unhindered flow from God to your life personally. When you take care of the horizontal, it opens up great blessings in the vertical. Does that make sense? Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.